Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Darren Potts. I'm your host for today's episode with Eric Nixick, head coach of Extreme Couture, GM of Extreme Couture, the head coach of Francis Ngannou. This is a fascinating conversation, someone I've really wanted to talk to for quite a while. And finally, I've asked him and he came on the show and we had a brilliant conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. Really excited for you to listen to it before you get there. Give me a follow, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at The Podcast. Let me know what you think of MMA Mayhem. Hope you've enjoyed the episodes. Give me a like, give me a follow, all that sort of stuff online. Find out what's coming up in the next couple of months here on The Podcast. But today's episode, genuinely one of the favorite episodes that I've ever recorded. It's so much fun, engaging, enlightening. We talk about a whole host of topics on this show Eric's journey, his mentality, what he expects from fighters in the gym, how he continues to push himself, how he continues to push his fighters, all that stuff. We talk about Francis's title win, of course we do. We talk about Al Jermaine in the title win. It is my absolute pleasure to bring you Eric Nixick. Enjoy the show. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is another episode of MMA Mayhem here on the podcast. I'm Darren Potts. I'm your host, as always. We're back. The final episode of the month. Um, what better way to finish off the month than with the GM, head coach, extreme couture, heavyweight champion of the world, Francis Ngannou. This is the man that puts him through his paces. It is Eric Nixick. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to have you on the show. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for having me. And Eric, what's interesting about where you are right now, you're in Vegas, you're getting ready for tomorrow night's fight. Uh, Kaiboy is fighting, former guest on my podcast, actually. So it's kind of nice that we're here and uh, we're getting the chat just before he fights tomorrow. So tell me a little bit about the training camp leading up to it. What's happening right now for you? Oh, you know, he's been a great addition to the team. Um, you know, Kai came right out after uh, he fought Tony Kelly. I think he decided to move out here and, uh, it was funny because, you know, I, I was giving him shit about it. And I told him when he moved out, I was like, hey, take take like a month or two before you get a fight, you know, like just ease into Vegas. And I think he took a fight like his first week. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, it didn't go his way, unfortunately, but I, I thought he showed a lot of really good things in that fight. And sometimes, you know, in a loss, you take more, you know, more growth and you understand more about your career and uh, you understand some changes you might need. And, I feel like that's what Kai's done, and you know he's he's really fit the gym well in the system that we have. Uh, to to be quite honest with you, Darren, like he's he's one of the guys I'm really excited about in his growth and his transformation and becoming kind of one of those staple Hawaiians that we have at Extreme Couture. I think you've just touched on a little thread that I wanted to maybe come to a little bit later, but we're going to hit it now because you mentioned that you talked about the Hawaiians, and you have quite a few of them in your gym. Um, Danny Gay, of course, Ty Gorder, whose episode, cheap plug by the way, because Ty's episode is out already. If you're listening to this podcast, the episode with Ty is available. Go and check that out. I know Ty's excited to get working with you again. Tell me a little bit about sort of what your mentality is like working with these guys and what they can expect from you as a coach. You know, for me, it's been uh, it's been kind of an easy transition because I I played football with a lot of guys from the island growing up in college and. Uh, you know, I, I fit right in with their style and their mentality. You know, I'm kind of laid back. I, I enjoy I enjoy life and, and um, I don't take a whole lot of things serious uh, right away. And then 
when it comes to the fight game and, and football and our preparation and what we do, I think we take that very seriously. Um, so we are, uh, we are all very much uh, one, I think. And, and then when it comes to just uh, the fighting style and, and biting down and the grittiness of the warrior heart that these guys have, it, it's really easy to take in. And I think you have this, this skill set where you can build off of, but you always have this like toughness that they can fall back on no matter what. So, you know, you're, you, you hit it on the head, man. We, we were basically a Hawaiian top team over here. <laughs> tour, man. We have, we have some savages through and through. And, and I actually love the fact that the Hawaiian fighters feel like they're, they're comfortable there and they know that they can come to our gym. Yeah, it certainly feels like home for a lot of them. You know, I've spoken to Kai Boy, I've spoken to the Thai, and I have a few others in my sights that hopefully in the future I can connect with. But there seems to be that real hunger and desire within Extreme Couture. And you mentioned something earlier on, you know, in, in, in your response. You know, you talked about fighting, you talked about football. Um, whenever you talked about being serious, football was thrown in there. So tell me a little bit about growing up and your love for MMA. How did you get involved with it? I know your background, you were a footballer. Uh, growing up in college and all of that so how did that transition happen it's kind of crazy because it there are some parallels to football and mma you know you think about like football being a team sport and mma really an individual sport but then you start finding out that you know really mma is a is the ultimate team sport when you think about it because you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with you know you have to have these coaches and training partners that meet your level or raise you up and a lot of times that was football for us too is you know, you're, you're, uh, you're working together to, to achieve a common goal. And I think that's kind of what, what football and MMA, the parallels for me that started, I started to understand and see, you know, I fell in love with the MMA because, you know, I left football. I really just missed the camaraderie. I missed the people. I missed the, you know, the, the, the training days and, you know, the, the travels, the road trips, those are the things you really miss the most. And of course, you know, the game days and the fights, those are, those are the fun part, but what I really miss is the, is the people, man. I, I miss being around guys who love to get after it the people right i think that's a massive yeah. a massive massive thing that you've touched on and when kobe was on the podcast kobe fair he talked about the atmosphere in the gym you know he had a little i wouldn't say a dig at you but he kind of said about you cranking up the tunes and a couple, a couple of things like that but what's the atmosphere not only what the what's the atmosphere like in the gym and on a day-to-day -day basis, but for you as a gm and a head coach what's the atmosphere that you want to create and want to keep cultivating I, I want that program mentality I want that Nick Saban you know when you show up to practice it is work time and, and I want guys to understand that you know although pro practice you know they they kind of hire us on if you will like we are um, employed by these fighters but they also there's a there's there's kind of that fine line of you know, we are there to help guide you to the place that you want to be. So you have to take our standard and what we're trying to do seriously. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they can hire and fire anybody that they want kind of at the gym. So there is that weird fine line, but um, I'm big on on things of that sort. I'm, I think the little things is what adds up to make the big things become champions. People become champions. So, you know, I harp on that stuff, like showing up on time, showing up prepared you know, taking care of your teammates, taking care of one another and doing all those things. And I think that's kind of trying to transcend it down um, through everybody from, from, from the Francis Naganus, the Brad Tavares, the Dan Iguez and everybody down like the Kobe's who are very young and impressionable in the sport. So um, you want those guys to be in your system, if you will, as a freshman. And, and when they, by the time that they're seniors, they understand what to expect. So the coach isn't the one always yelling at them. They know the standard that we set. 
it's not my standard. It's our standard. And that's something we all had agreed on. That's what we wanted to do. We strive to be champions. And I just take that standard um, by like kind of the lead of what they want. And that's how we run our, our practices and run our gym. So I think, I think that's the mentality that we need to take. And um, you know, it's worked out well for us. Certainly has worked out well for you. And one of the comments that Cody made, which, which I really caught was he talked about sort of the breadcrumbs and the crumbs that you talk about every day. So explain that a little bit for my listeners who maybe won't understand what you mean whenever you, whenever they hear that term. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, actually, that's a terminology that I picked up off of uh, Matthew McConaughey, one of his books. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, and, and he had he had a really good comment, and it made a lot of sense. He talked about crumbs being uh, identified as regret. If you think about crumbs and the, and the regret that you have, and uh, maybe let's let's use it as a fight camp as, as an example. And let's say you lose that fight, but you're able to go back and kind of reassess the situations and things that you did throughout camp, and maybe it's the practices that you missed. You know, maybe it's because you went out a little late last night and you didn't make the early morning practice, or maybe you made the practice, but you weren't giving a hundred percent because you're hungover or a little tired, all these little things that he considers crumbs. And that was something that resonated with me because you see it quite a bit in the sport. Darren is like, guys lose a fight. And they're like, Oh, well, I did everything I could. It's like, but did you, I think you left a lot of crumbs behind. So I have no problem if a guy loses that's something that happens in the sport. No matter what you do, you could be your absolute best. And you're going to come across a guy that, or a girl that can be better than you that night. But if you leave crumbs behind those little bits of regret, those are the things that I get upset about because you're not selling out. You're not burning the boats. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. This sport, man, it, it's unforgiving and it won't, it'll haunt you if you, if you don't do the right things while you're there. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. You know, a previous guest on the show, Smiling Sam Alvey, he mentioned, you know, if, if it comes down to maybe a judge's decision or if you haven't given 100% in your training camp and all of a sudden you're thinking of the Tuesday where you decided to, to take the day off when they worked on grappling and that's where you got caught or something along those lines. And as you mentioned, unforgiving. Um, we've seen that over the years. It's time tested that word with this sport. It really is unforgiving. But back to your journey, because from, from listening to you in, on previous shows, you walked into the gym because you just wanted to start working out and Randy Couture was working out and on and on it goes. But tell me about those days when you first walked into that gym and that progression, because uh, what I love to hear about, and it's a question I'm going to touch on later with you is about the grassroots of the sport and how the sport can continue to grow. But you started out working with the kids and taking the kids program. So tell me a little bit about your journey and coming into where you are now. Yeah, you you nailed it on the head, man. I, I, I walked in and didn't, didn't know much of anything. And, um, Randy was getting ready for Tim Sylvia. He hadn't opened the gym officially yet. And, uh, so Mike Pyle and Jay Heron and all of those guys were, uh, having their own practices and they're just like, oh, I was just a big body, a big athlete, you know? So they're like, yeah, come in and come train. And l- l- later on to find out that that was, you know, I'd understand what is, you know, what a green light is. And, you know, they didn't, I wasn't sparring more than, more than anything, just grappling and trying to learn that way. But, you know, I got the crap beat out of me by those guys and deservedly so, you know, it's just, it's part of your maturation and understanding what the sport's all about, but I was too stupid to ever not come back. You know, I was like, I'm, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll see you guys. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like they just can never get rid of me. And, and to the point to where, I, you know, I was the most consistent guy there. I was there from morning to close a lot of times and just trying to learn and pick up whatever I could. And I was annoying. I think I was just picking guys brains and asking them questions and, always there. And, um, you know, eventually I know like, you know, Mike and Jay and those guys kind of took me under the wing. And then Dennis Davis came to extreme couture and Dennis and I really hit it off. And 
you know, Dennis has been my head coach for a long time. You know, he's been the head coach for the team and he's been an amazing individual for me. So just having the, that, that, that group to kind of cut my teeth and understand the sport um, really paid off dividends for me. And then, um, you know, Ray Seffo came along, helped me out with, with the striking. So I've had some of the best coaches in the world right at my fingertips. And all it was is just really just asking, just asking, just asking for help and stepping outside your comfort zone. You know, so um, I started coaching a couple of classes at the gym. I had like a grappling class on Fridays for the adults. And then um, when I was approached to take over the kids program, I was very reluctant to do that. I was like, yeah, I don't know, dude, this is going to be rough. And I fell in love with it. I had such a great time running the kids program. Uh, it wasn't long after that. I took over the gym. Um, so I was coaching, you know, pros. I was coaching, you know, kids. I was coaching class. I was doing this. I was doing that. And then I started really understanding the business side of the gym. And, uh, you know, I was uh, the gym manager for I'm the gym manager, I think, for it's been eight years now. And then uh, myself and Ryan now have run, run the gym at, at the fullest. Ryan's now the owner of Retreat Couture. Randy signed the papers over to Ryan uh, right before COVID. <laughs> so <laughs> he, had, he had the responsibility of a gym right before a pandemic. But, uh, you know, so it's uh, the, the brain, the brainchild behind that gym is myself and Ryan. We, we, we call the shots there now. And, um, you know, it's amazing because he's one of my best friends. And, you know, we've uh, we've been in the gym industry for so long now. We understand what it takes and kind of how to get through all the all the bullshit when you come to the gym, for sure. Uh, Eric, phenomenal story. Fascinating. You see, whenever you started out and you started, you said earlier on that you were a bit annoying, perhaps at the very, very start and you were learning and you're going through the steps. Do you, do you ever notice now, maybe it's full circle, that now you're the GM, you're running the show, and you've got these kids coming in, you've got these young guys, you've got these fighters aspiring to get into the into the UFC or Bellator or whatever, trying to get to the top, and they're like, Eric, what do I do here? What do I do there? Do you see those parallels at all? All, all the time, man. It's every day, and I, I have to, like, <laughs> stop myself from being an asshole and be like, get out, like, get out of your kid. I'm like, oh, I, was, I was the same kid, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I, you try to pay it forward as much as you can, and, uh, you know, I, I get it. This this sport is so tough to break into. Um, I think my story is, is very different than a lot of guys that are in my position. So uh, I like the fact that I've met a lot of people. I've come across a lot of uh, men and women, both that, that are inspired by my path and feel like I've, I've paved a way for them to be in the same position I am. So I take a lot of pride and respect in understanding that, you know, people feel comfortable now thinking like, well, I never was a pro fighter, but I seen Eric Nixick get to this point. So I know I can do it too. That means a lot to me, man, because, you know, I, I was always very self-conscious in the fact of like, I, I have a very different path than most, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but um, I never let somebody else's perception become my reality. So I just kept my head down and worked and, you know, shit, here we are. Absolutely. Here we are indeed. And you said you never let someone else's perception become your reality. And it leads me on to another topic because it, that, you know, statement alone, it just screams out to me about mindset mentality. Yeah. Tell me about mindset mentality. What does it take to succeed in this sport? You know, one of the key words I love to talk about is consistency. But for, for yourself as, as a GM, as a coach, as a head coach of a gym, what does it take if a fighter walks in or if I walk in off the street and say, hey, I want to become the next big thing. I want you to coach me. What does it take? It, it, there's so many intangibles, Darren. It's just hard to point on just one. So you know, you brought up a very key word to me is consistency. So one of my high school football coaches, we had what we considered the six C's. And one of those C's was consistency. And when you start breaking down the six C's, they all make sense when it comes to any craft that you have. It's consistency, concentration, confidence, courage, compete, camaraderie, right? So you start thinking about those six C's and what they mean to us as far as our field in MMA. 
but really they transcend everything that we do in life, you know? So the mentality, the mindset to me is very important, especially in this sport, right? Because sometimes you are your biggest fan. Sometimes the only good thing that you're going to hear about yourself is things that you say to yourself, you know? <laughs> so you have to be, you have to be, um, you have to be kind of, I wouldn't say delusional at times, right? But you have to be real, but you also have to kind of um, not, not listen to any of the chatter. And that goes for the good stuff too, Darren, because sometimes you get fluffed up and your head explodes a little bit too much than what it should. And then it's, it's pretty easy to come back down to earth as well. So, you know, um, the mental side of the game to me, I think is, is definitely my strong suit. And I, f- I feel like that's uh, preparing fighters the, the right way of visualizing things and the positivity that surrounds it. Uh, that's, it's very important. You know, the, the, probably the best compliment I ever received from, you know, from any, from any fighter was when Francis won the title. You know, he said to me, he said, man, I, I felt like I'd already won before. Like I visualized, you know, we went through this and we made sure we visualized everything from, from, from not only the fight, Darren, but the, 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 the celebration, you know, the <laughs> aftermath, you know, feeling, feeling what you were going to feel like when you went home and put that belt around his mom, like all those mm-hmm. things I made him kind of manifest those feelings. So when we got done with the fight, it was about a week later. He said, man, like, you know, I felt like I'd already done it before. And, and that felt good to me, knowing that all of our mental preparation was working, that, that he's already known that feeling, what it felt like to be there. So that really meant a lot. And it showed me, you know, as a coach, there's a lot of power behind that, the, the visualization, the mental side of this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen different fighters. Obviously, Francis is, is a massive example, one, a recent example, one that you can obviously attest to being there, seeing it, experiencing that with him. You know, obviously, my, I'm originally from Belfast, so I'm a little biased towards the Irish guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Conor McGregor talked a lot, especially more so in his early days, I suppose, about the mindset and absolutely. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard too much of it, but he talked a lot about visualization. And I think that's that's massive. Was that something that you always had, even at football level when you were playing in, in high school and college? Yeah. My dad used to make me go through visualization drills and pop Warner and in, in like the youth football league. So it's crazy. Cause I remember laying in bed I was a wide receiver and I remember my dad before a game was, Hey, I want you to just visualize the, the whole game from, from first quarter to the final play of the game. And, and as a, as a young kid, you know, you're trying your best. Like I remember thinking back laying there and trying to do this, but here's what the interesting part was for me was, we played at this high school that had like these, there were the, the lights at this high school were very different from every high school you play. It was an older high school. It was an away game and the lights were more yellow than anything. And I remember visualizing it was so hard at night to catch balls at this, at this place at this, in the, because of the lights. And I remember visualizing catching a fade route in this light and how it like kind of breaks through at the very last second and then stabbing and catching it. And sure as shit, Darren, I remember in the game, running this route, this fade route and every little detail that I visualized and I saw within my mind's eye created in life. And as I'm running this route, as I'm seeing this ball come, I'm like, Holy shit. Like I'm having this epiphany. Like I've been here. And now I'm like in a weird way, like I had to like kick myself out of it to go catch the fucking ball, pay pay attention, but everything slowed down to me. And it was a very young age for me at the time. And then it really made me realize that this, this is something that actually works. You know, this is something that I, I truly started to believe in when I was, you know, young and pop Warner. And then this happened to me in high school. So, you know, 16, 17 years old, running that play through my head, it's happening to the T. And I'm like, 
man, there's something here. I believe in this. Like, I, I, I just want to keep doing this. And, you know, uh, Trevor Moab's got a great book out. Um, it takes what it takes is, is the name of the book. And he talks about his, his dad and how his dad just always, always was the positive thinking guy. But the line is the dad would say, you know, I don't know if positive thinking works hundred percent of the time, but I know that negative thinking works hundred percent of the time. So he goes, I'd rather just think positive than always think negative, you know, and that, that really resonates. So when you think about just that mental side of the game, especially what you're feeding your brain, the diet you're feeding your brain is, uh, is imperative no matter what you do in life, man. Not only is it imperative here, but that transcends down as well. So me being the head coach at Extreme Couture, if my mindset is constantly negative, you know, I'm putting that out there, then guess who's feeding off of my diet? The rest of my team the rest of the people I surround myself with. So, you know, the, the mental side of the game, man, has been very important to me at a very, very young age, for sure. It's, it seems to be the more people I speak to, and especially in the, in the elite level, you know, whether they be coaches or fighters, when they talk about mentality, I, it seems to fire them up. I, I really, I can see that on the video. I can hear that on, on the audio, whenever they're, whenever they're speaking, it seems to really ignite a flame. And, you know, you're not the first person to um, mention that book. Um, Kevin Krum, who fights at a glory MMA, he mentioned that book to me before Christmas and I didn't, I didn't get it. And I put it on my list and kind of forgot about it. And now you've brought it up and I'm, and I'm saying it right now publicly on this. I've got to order that book because he brought it up and I should have done it. And the reason he brought it up is he talked about his mindset, similar to the way you did. And he got called up to the UFC. He caught COVID. He got cut and he thought he would never have another chance. And he said he was going to drink a bottle of Jack and just jump out of a tree or something. He said he was just nuts. He couldn't believe it. But it was really reading that book and, and the affirmation and the confidence that he took in, just keep going, just keep working, and eventually get another shot. And he did. Specifically in, in, in your gym, you have so many guys and girls, of course, I believe. I, I don't know if this is true or not. I've read that Misha Tate is in there training before her comeback. What's going to happen in 2021? Because Extreme Couture is just having so many guys, girls fighting this year. There's, you know, Danny Ige is going to fight in a couple of weeks. I believe Brad Tavares does as well. Casey O'Neill was outstanding in her last outing. She's another fight coming up. For you as the GM, do you, you must take pride in that. And we're going to talk about your awards in a little second. But you must take pride in the amount of fighters of competing at the top level representing Extreme Couture. Man, it's everything to me, Darren. And that's the thing that we set out to do. And you got to think like we, we were on the ground floor building this, this thing. And, you know, you're, you're, you're at the, at the mail room level, you know what I mean? And, and everybody in that room is grinding and pushing. Not only the, do we have the, the, the guys that are in the gym now and the, all the names that you mentioned, but, but Jay Haran comes in daily, right? When he's in town, he's in our gym. You know, you have Ray Seffo in our gym, like every day, the guys that have been there since the start, the guys that have had great careers have since retired that we were able to kind of bring in and help, you know, understand and, and maturate and push and, and let these guys know what we're dealing with. But it's that kind of that, that full circle of life, if you will, when it comes to our gym. And it means the world to me because this is what the standard and what we wanted to do and that the things that we have set out to become. But now that we're kind of in that spot, I remind these guys, this is not the end. We didn't make it. There is no end to this game. The game is finite. It's never going to stop. There's no winner at the end of this. So each day is a new day, is a new fight, right? Everybody's fight is, is, is equally as important as it is if it's a title or if it's your amateur debut. 
Every fight is important in this gym. And we have to maintain that mentality because now, you know, we're getting that recognition that the gym is back and everything else. But now is the real work has begun. We haven't made anything. We haven't made it yet because there's nowhere to go. It's always keep moving forward, man. If you feel like you've made it, that means you stopped. There's nowhere else to go. So don't feel like that. And that's kind of what I remind all the teams. So, yeah, it means the world to me. I'll tell you what, the nice thing I was telling one of my boys a couple of days ago, it's been nice pulling in the parking lot and seeing the cars change, you know, the upgrades <laughs> in the cars. You see all the looking, looking around like, damn, we're doing pretty good. All these cars are starting to get upgraded, you know, <laughs> these <laughs> car pulling and, you know, people buying these piece of shits and everything else. And like there are some good cars in the parking lot. That means a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously as a gym, you see that, you see the growth and the exponential growth and, and just how the gym is growing and the fighters are growing and, Obviously, as you see the as you see the gym grow and the cars get better, you're seeing these fighters get better every day. Um, you've won awards, you know, gym of the year, coach of the year. How much? Obviously, you must you must take pride in that. I'm assuming you do, but how much does that mean a lot to you to win those awards? It it does. It, it really does. And and um, you know, it, it's it's those those awards. I think for me, um, really set the example or or. Um, those, those awards really go to my, my family because they're the ones that really sacrifice so much time away from me, you know? So to be able to bring those awards and those accolades home, um, it's almost kind of just re reassurance to me that they know that um, I'm doing my job and I'm doing my job well and I'm taking it seriously. I'm not dicking around um, because this is it, man. This is the only time that we have and we don't get this shit back. So if it's not being used wisely and it's not going to my family, then to me, it's just a waste. But um, yeah, man, it, it, it really does mean a lot. And, you know, the, the, the team and the guys around the gym, they've been so supportive uh, to me. Like when you win an award like Coach of the Year, that means we won Gym of the Year in a lot of ways. You know, I don't win that award without these guys winning fights. You know, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. So everything kind of is connected. And um, a rising tide raises all ships, man. That's the mentality in the gym. And, and everybody feels like that win kind of went to all of us. And But now it's to me, it's just got to get right back to work. Now you got to defend it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is that you've mentioned that all the way through. Don't think that you've made it. There's always work to do. And that seems to be a bit of um, maybe a mantra for you. Um, and I'm assuming you don't let these guys realize that they've made it. They've got to the top. You're constantly pushing them to get better. You mentioned your family in, in your last answer. How big is it to have your family backing you and supporting you? Because you're married, you're you're a father of, of I think it's three, I believe, or is it five? Mm -hmm. Sorry, three. I forget. Three, okay. Three, thank three. God. Hopefully not. Well, <laughs> three that live in my house, but about about 30 that live in my gym. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies for the five. But yeah, you're, you're, you're a father of three as well. But how important is that for you? You know, the family support and the backing and, and, and how do they support you and help you do what you do? it's, it's everything. And it's why you get into this sport, you know, and uh, if you didn't have that, 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 that push from home, that they didn't feel like what you were doing was, was worth its while. then I think you start seeing a lot of pushback, you know um, you know, I don't know if my wife was a hundred percent on board with, with the travel and everything that I was doing uh, for a while, but what she did see was my passion. She saw how much it meant to me and what I wanted to become. So, uh, sometimes I know that the more of the hard work was laid on her lap with raising three kids while her husband's on the road, you know, and doing everything else. And sometimes I can see the, you know, her, how tired and how you know disgruntled she might be when I got home, but she always kind of kept the same, like, 
you know, I know this is what, what you're supposed to do. And I know this is what you want to do and kept pushing me. So, you know, winning that award, man, really was an award for her, to be honest with you and to be able to bring that home. But, um, you know, my kids, they take a special interest in this fight game. And, you know, and I know that like the relationship with my son and Francis has been, a, been kind of a publicly thing, public thing that people have seen, but um, you know, it's something else when they are invested as well, when they're invested in the fighters. So it just makes things like that so much better, man. And, and to be able to see my family celebrate Francis's win, I, I watched the video of, you know, everybody in the house celebrating. Um, that meant a lot. I felt that love from the, from the venue. I felt that love from the apex. You know, everybody texting and writing and the videos that were coming in the outport, everybody was on board and rowing the boat the same direction. And that means a lot, man. You, you really need that, Darren, in this, in this industry. It's tough, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And my wife, who will listen to this, and, and we're expecting our first child. And I've sort of, we've always kind of pushed for like, when the kid gets older, I want to put them into some form of martial art. And she's like, no, it's too violent. I want her to listen to this and see that it's good for the kids and all that sort of stuff. As a former instructor for kids, I'm sure you would agree. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she's trying to push me away from it. Put, put them into soccer, put them into soccer. And I'm like, no, no, I want to get them into some form of martial art. But we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge, I guess, when we get there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the first, man. That's great oh, news. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Nervous, excited, everything thrown into one. But Just what you should be. <laughs> yeah, just wait the September comes. <laughs> um, another couple of fighters. We'll talk about Francis in a little bit. Um, Aljamain. Won, won the title. Obviously, it wasn't the way he wanted to win it. It probably wasn't the way that as a coach, you prepare a fighter to win a title. Rules were broken and he won the title and the rules are rules. And that's it at the end of the day. I, I felt actually at the time, it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on this, that he took a bit of unfair criticism, especially, and it can be a blessing and it's also a curse and it's social media. And I thought he took a bit of an unfair battering because of how he won the title and it wasn't him. You know, it's the rules. It is what it is. And it happened. But what's what was sort of your thoughts on it at the time? Uh, you nailed it on the head. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. You know, he was he was the victim to an illegal knee. Um, when it happened, I was like, why did he th- like like it was it was so egregious and right in front of us. And Mark Smith's like he's grounded. And then the knee flies. You know, yeah, I've known I know Peter Young. I trained with him. He's a great kid. He's a great competitor. He's a beautiful champ. You know, all these things. I don't think like that was his mindset was to hurt him in this way. In a lot of ways, it was kind of a brain fart to be honest with you, but you know, it is what it is. And um, now when it comes to social media, man, it's tough. You're, you, you're never going to be a hundred percent liked by everybody. You know, when that, when that happened, it was very much 50, 50. And I, I told Aljo, Hey, I'll just stay off of social media for two days. Yeah. I wouldn't even get on, man. I wouldn't even worry about it. You don't have to say anything. Just it is what it is. And that's the way it happened, you know. But you know, he 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 wanted to be vocal about things and, and come forth. And and I I support him hundred percent with that too. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. So um it, it's some some of the stuff I think the way it came off and the way it looked didn't look great for him to to help his case. But again, like I said, like he did nothing wrong. If he wants to go on a fucking parade after he wins the belt, that's his decision. And yeah. he's my guy and I'm going to support him and I love him to death and he needs to do whatever he feels right. You know, and, and uh, uh, I'm really glad he went and got that surgery done. That was something that was hampering him for 
for well before, you know, our fights, even uh, the first fight was even scheduled. So I'm glad that got done. He can be healthy and get back to training. And, you know, we're, that fight's going to get reran and we'll get back after it again. And, you know, there's only one way to make that, that fight, um, you know, the true champion is just go back in the cage and square it off. Yeah, 100%. And it's a fight I think everyone's looking forward to because it's a fight I think that whether whoever you follow, if you liked Peter or if you liked Aljamain, whoever, you were excited for that fight. It's just a fun fight. And from your perspective as a coach, you've obviously probably seen and taken some notes and seen some areas for him to improve or some holes maybe in, in Peter's game as well. You must be excited to run that fight back as well as a coach. Oh, of course. And, and I think uh, really, you know, that was my – that was the third UFC title I've cornered. Um, and, you know, my experience there is still, you know, it's like it's still very young when you think about it. But it was Aljamain's first title uh, experience. And I think him understanding those nerves and jitters, um, that, that adrenaline dump and everything else that he might have experienced in that fight. Now we have a little bit that we can understand on how, how, to, how to pace ourselves. Um, we saw a lot of great things from him in that fight. And we saw a lot of great things from Jan as well. And, so we, there's, there's very rare times in this sport, Darren, where you get to run it back right away, yeah. you know? So, you know, we, we, we basically had a, had a playoff game and uh, we won and now we get to meet the guy in the championship, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of crazy that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be fun for everyone involved. You know, I mean, I, I can't wait for it. You know, I'm glad he's had the surgery. Glad, hope he's on the mend and I can't wait to see when that fight gets booked because that's going to be fun but turning our attention to Francis you know you've, you've touched touched on him already you mentioned the relationship between him and your son I thought that was amazing the only thing I have which I think sucks about Francis winning the title and hear me out because you're going to think what on earth is he going to say <laughs> it was the fact there wasn't fans there um I wish that was the first card back with fans because I think that atmosphere the reaction I mean it was amazing just to see the reaction with the small number there but I can just, just based on the card we've seen this weekend with fans, I can just imagine what it would have been like with fans. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and, and how it started for you and, and, and how that sort of blossomed, because I know you guys are very, very close. Yeah. So, um, you know, first about the fans, you're absolutely right, man. That There was a small group in there and, and that small group, that energy, just that small group brought was, was quite intense. But uh, man, it would have been beautiful to have that in a, in a big arena you know, that would have been a lot of fun. And we were the first, the first time was in Jacksonville with no fans, you know, and then I watched yeah. this last fight with Usman in Jacksonville. I was like, man, could you imagine if Francis was here knocking out, you know, um, Jarzinho in this venue, man, that would have been insane. So, um, yeah, so Francis and I, um, you know, he's been in Vegas for, for three, four years now, I believe, um, if, I, if I remember correctly. But, you know, he, he, I think it took a long, a while for Francis to kind of find, find his footing and understand um, who and, and, and what people there he can, he can trust and he can lean on. And, um, you know, I was, I've always been there for him. We've always been friends. But um, he asked me to corner him for junior. And, I like, so we, he, he really started full-time at a shrink tour, Darren. It was uh, Curtis Blades 2. Yeah. So he fought Curtis Blades, the second fight. Um, and then his manager, Markel and I are very close. He asked me about cornering him for the Cain Velasquez fight. And it was just a little bit of, uh, timing differences. I happened to be out there for the fight in Arizona. We kind of, you know, talked whatever else through the gym and worked on a few things. And then, uh, then it was the JDS camp. So after that, he actually says to me after the fight, it was very interesting. He's like, you know, man, I've been testing you. I go testing me for what? And, 
He's like, I just, I just wanted to, I, he's an energy guy. He knows people's energies. He feels like he, he knows what their intent is with him. And he just always told me, he goes, I, I just feel that yours is pure. You're, you're, you, you care for me. You actually care about me. And he's right. I do. I mean, I, he means the world to me as a friend and moreover than anything. So that really started to make, make our friendship uh, turn. So uh, Jarzinho fight, you know, it ended up being a 14, 15 week camp. Um, you know, we were about a week out from going to Columbus, Ohio to fight and then pandemic hit. So we didn't know what we had, what we we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when we're going to fight. But I did know that I didn't want to let everything that we did prior leading up to this fight go to waste. So myself and Francis just kind of made a pact and packed. And we just said, look, man, you and I are going to go to the gym every day. We're going to train. We're going to hit pads. We're going to lift weights. It's going to be this Rocky style training camp. You're going to come over for dinner. You're going to be part of the family because now if we're breaking this quarantine, you're now exposed to me and I'm exposed to you. So you might as well come over to the house and be part of the family. And man, and it, it was, it was the best thing for all of us, man. Cause here's this poor guy sitting at home by with nobody. Here's my family sitting here stuck in the house, you know, and then we bring Francis over and, and that's really where you start to see like the friendship, the family, everything begin to blossom. Um, and, and a lot of times, Darren, you think about it, man, it's just sweat equity. It's just spending time with one another. And, uh, that's, I think what really made our friendship close and our bond really tight. He's a brother to me. I love him to death. Um, I'll do anything for the man. And I feel like he would do the same for me and my family too. It's incredible to hear. And I think during COVID as well, especially around the world, when you, when you see the rise of mental illnesses and people being frustrated and all that sort of stuff going on, it brings us back to mentality that we touched on earlier. But to see and experience that where maybe you're able to bring someone into your house, bring them, make them part of the family, keep that energy, maintain that mindset and push through. Because what was a struggle for most people? Um, some people were able to capitalize on it. And I think that's that's amazing. And Francis was because obviously he was working every day with you. You guys weren't stopping. It was it's a pandemic. Got to go to work. And the work was put in. And I think as well, and I, I have to be, I have to be honest because I'm a huge Cain Velasquez fan. It was the, it mm. was the, la it was the last, and probably still is the heavyweight fight that I've been the most excited about in about ten years. And, and yeah. when it ended so quickly, I was just devastated. <laughs> I was like, "Are you kidding me? Really?" Yeah. I was gutted yeah. because I, I, I love a huge Cain Velasquez fan. He's crazy, man, and and uh, you know when you're when you're around him enough, and and you train with him enough, and you hold pads from enough you know, obviously his power is, is it jumps off the page. You know, you see it, you understand it, but when you actually feel it, it's something different, man. It, you know, there's, it's, there's no other Mike Tyson effect that I've ever been close enough to, to, to really feel and understand than Francis Ngannou. That's the thing, isn't it? Because I was actually, it's ironic you've said that because I was watching a Mike Tyson documentary yesterday. And when I was watching it, I was actually thinking of Francis being like, he's probably the first person of, came across since you know I was obviously wasn't even alive during Tyson's heyday but looking back at it and seeing all the sort of stuff and the the media that went alongside Tyson Francis had that in the UFC this one hit KO everyone's dead if he hits them par and he was just killing everybody until really he met Stipe for the first time and mm -hmm. Stipe, in my opinion, probably the greatest of all time at the heavyweight division so far. I know I think Francis, by the end of his career, might want to say something about that. But certainly, you know, up to this point, probably the best that, that I've seen. 
Um, what did you take away as a coach from the first fight? And what did Francis take away? And how did you decide this is what we're going to work on and we're going to come back and we're going to come back stronger? Well, I think he was the best uh, guy to go to, the best resource of information because he was in there, yeah. you know, and, and uh, really sit down and conjure up those thoughts and feelings that he once had. And, and I, think, I think sometimes a lot of fighters like to just block that off and kind of, oh, I don't want to talk about that. And we're going to, well, you know what, man, I want to know, I want to know everything about it, to be honest with you. I want to know everything about it so I understand how to prepare. And, I, I, you know, I don't think that he was in a good place back then. Um, between camps, between moving, between here, you know, he was spread out pretty thin. So I think a combination of all those things really was shown on that night. And I don't think it was really, um, you know, one person, one thing, one issue, one problem. I think it was a combination of all of those. So being able to get him back, at, you know, get him into our gym and into a system and a consistency, a level of consistency that he felt confident and comfortable with. And then, you know, I think he needed that loss. I just think he did for, the, for his mental side. I think he needed it to figure out what he wanted to do and how he wanted to approach this game, how he wants to be remembered. And that really lit a fire under his ass. You know, we can, we, I can't want it more than you. You know, I can't, I can't just be a rah-rah guy and then you just kind of meet me halfway. Like, you have to want it more than me. And that's really been his mentality. There's, there's things I think he had to face with the cardio. I think there's things he had to face with the wrestling. And he could have very easily taken the short route on just, oh, I'll dabble in a little bit of this stuff. But when we talked about, it, I was like, man, look, if you can conquer those areas that you feel like you want to improve in, there ain't nobody out there that can ever stop you. So if we don't work one day, one day of, of, of hitting a pad, I guarantee you're still going to hit hard. I guarantee you're still going to have knockout power. So let's focus mainly on the things and areas that we want to improve on and step outside our comfort zone and build on those areas and then we'll touch on the other things that we're already good at. I thought the performance, especially in the second fight, I thought the performance was flawless. I know Stipe maybe caught him with a little punch there, just as France, just as Francis hit him to knock him out. But when I watched it, I just went, wow, that was flawless. He was excellent. Stipe, known for the takedown, the wrestling, went for it. Not only the block it, but the footwork, the maneuver around it, all that, everything that encompassed that performance. I thought it was a complete performance, you know, and I'm sitting here that might, might not mean much from an armchair fan, you know, but, but for me sitting there, that that's sort of what I thought for, for you as a coach in the corner, was there, was there nerves? Was there any trepidation? Was there, I knew this was going to happen. We talked earlier about the visualization. Yeah. Talk to me about your, your sort of experience that night as well. So there was a lot, a lot of nerves leading up to it, I think. And a lot of like, okay, did we cover enough of this? We cover enough of that. And Darren, I'll tell you what, man, the moment we got in the, like, the tunnel to walk, there was just this relief that I was like, you know what? It's like jumping out of an airplane. You know, it's like at this point we're jumping and there is no turning back. And I felt this just big relief come over and I had a big smile on my face. And I'm like, we're going to go do this, you know? So um, everything that we worked on from beginning of camp to the fight week just unfolded right in front of us every little thing and uh, I always equated it to football and being in, on the offense you usually have your first 10 plays sketched out you're going to run these first 10 plays right no matter what here's our first 10 and it just was like your very first play hit for like 35 yards you know and then your next play hit for another 35 yards and the next play was a touchdown so it was like shit everything just started to roll 
So we just, I mean, we knew, man. And I got in the corner with them uh, going into round two. And it was funny because I actually was cracking jokes at them, you know, because I was like, <laughs> man, this is this is great. This is the first time I ever had you in the corner. Like, grab a seat, you know, I'm like, welcome <laughs> to the corner. And he's like, yeah, man, this is awesome, you know. So when I knew, like, kind of where he was at and his breathing and how relaxed he was and he was in this flow state of mind, I just knew it was only a matter of time, man. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. And, you know, I'm glad that you saw what I saw, too, because it was it was it was really a it was really a master class by Francis. He, he stayed calm. He, he listened to everything that that the corner had. He listened to the game plan and he, he executed it flawlessly. Yeah. Amazing performance. We, before obviously the lockdown and the circuit breakers that we had up here in Canada, we were able to get out to the pub for it. And this is why I, I always thought, wish there was fans there because the pub exploded. Everyone in the pub blew up and I'm like, so gone. there should have been fans there. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, that that's what, that's what got it for me in terms of the fans. I had guys standing on chairs screaming and I'm just like, this is, this is amazing. It, it really was just such a flawless per- performance. Um, Talk to me a bit about the afters, because obviously there's a, I've seen a really cool picture of your mother with Francis <laughs> in the belt. I thought that was, I just thought it was brilliant, you know, and yeah. from, from a fan perspective, I just thought that's class. You know, it's really, real class and a classy touch as well from, from Francis. Tell yeah. me what, hap- what happened after. There must have been so, a few beverages consumed, I imagine. I, I wish there was a lot more. There wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot. Um, it was just a lot of like, obviously there's a lot of media and press right after. Um, and then, uh, we're kind of whisked, whisked away to go. We have to go to this after party. We have this sponsor. There's this, there's that. Uh, but all the while, you know, I I just knew, um, by talking to my family and talking to my mom, just how happy they were. And, uh, usually these fights, Darren are on the road. So I don't get to partake in in anything, the excitement. So it was, it meant the world to me for my, my, uh, family to be able to come and just, just celebrate in the moment with everybody and, that was the organic reaction that you saw. My, you know, I have, a, I have a great picture of, you know, all, all four of my girls, if you will. It was my mom, my, my, my wife and my two daughters and my sister take, took the picture, but all of them are just crying, you know? Yeah. So you could just imagine just how happy they were. And so to be able to bring them out to the little bit of after party that we had and to be able to share in that moment, man, it was amazing. It was so important. My mom's, my mom's a nut, man. She's, <laughs> she's in this, She's in the sport. She's in the sport through and through, bro. She knows more about everything than I do. She's constantly sending me, you know, did you see this? Did you read this? Did you, did you talk to so-and-so? Like, no, mom. Like, I don't know. So, so yeah, it was, you know, my mom is, my mom is full tilt into the sport. She loves, she loves her fighters or my fighters as much as I do. So. Oh, that's so good. I mean, my, my mom tries to get involved and sent me a message the other day and was like, what would happen if, if, if Francis fought John Cena? I'm like, mom, they're totally different. Like one's, <laughs> one's in rest WWE. And, um, and then she'd be like, oh, oh, I thought they were just fighters. You know, that's, that's my, my mom messing around and stuff. But I love that connection. You love that connection, you know, with, with your family and, and Francis and everything that's going on there. And that's years of hard work and blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. Um, and now it brings me to what's next. Because, you know, John Jones tweeting out the night off, pay me. He wants the money for the fight. And I'm totally all for fighters being paid what they rightfully should and get as much as they can. Go for it. Go nuts. Um, John Jones, the unsolvable puzzle so far, moving up the heavyweight. And before we talk about maybe that fight and John Jones particularly, as a coach, when you see a puzzle, if I can refer to John Jones as a puzzle, the unsolvable puzzle, does that get you excited? Because I can, I, I think it would. <laughs> 100%. And that's why you get in the sport. You know, I'm a competitor. 
through and through. And I think John Jones is the pound for pound best to ever do it in, in this sport. And there's no bigger honor and no better challenge in the world than be able to go and compete against a guy like John and, you know, his great camp of Jackson Wink and Brandon Gibson and those guys I have the utmost respect for that whole team, everything that those guys do. But that's what we are. We're competitors. We set out in the sport because we want, we want the challenge. We don't want the easy route. And, um, you know, I, I think that's the fight to make. And God bless John Jones because he's, he's doing, making our job easier. He's, he's driving the market up for all of us and deservedly so. I don't blame him one bit. And I really hope that he gets what he's asking for. And I hope that this fight happens because, you know, it's the fight that everybody wants to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it's, is it the, is it the fight that Francis wants? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the fight definitely Francis wants. And I think it's the right, I think it's the right fight to make. Um, you know, Derek Lewis is very deserving of a, of a title opportunity as well. I don't think you can scoff at his, uh, his recent winning streak of four wins. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's with the most knockouts and, you know, they've already fought. I get that whole narrative, but Derek is right there. So I, I mean, you know, it's like a one A and one B situation. Uh, obviously we're trying to maximize the financials and make the most money that we can while we can. And, um, you know, John Jones brings that to light right away. Uh, and, you know, but what, whatever they decide, we're going to be prepared one way or another. I think on paper is for fans, for all of us, for, you know, everybody that's involved in this sport, that loves this sport. You know, that is the, the one, you know, 1.2 million pay-per-view buys. And, and, you know, that's the fight that I think gets everybody excited. Yeah. For, for me, as, as a fan, that is the fight, isn't it? You know, it's, it's the box office fight. It's, it's the the ultimate whenever you look if you start doing fantasy matchups and putting guys names on paper against each other that's the fight you want to see it's francis and jones and i think fingers crossed it happens it better happen with a crowd i think it will happen with a crowd given you know what what's happened the last week or so talk to me a little bit about, about kamaro usman you know he's been he's been around a little bit uh, a bit at the minute you know with with, uh, with francis They've a friendship there. I know he was working in the gym before his fight. Tell me a little bit about that relationship and, and what you see for Kamara. Uh, you know, Kamara is great. I've known him a long time, man. I've known Kamara for quite a few years now and been watching his rise. And there's been the thing that's always been consistent with uh, Kamara has been his mindset, you know, mm-hmm. and this, this position that he's been in is not surprising to him. This is where he's, he's expected to be. And I like that about him, man. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm very good friends with both Henry Hooft and Trevor Whitman. They've been uh, mentors of mine and guys that I look up to a lot, guys that I lean on a lot. So he's he's had the benefit of, of having two, in my opinion, Hall of Fame coaches and um, guys that he's really, uh, really, you can see a lot of their work with his skills. So, you know, having Kamaro in the gym uh, now that he's like doing most of his stuff out in Denver, he's, he's out in Vegas quite regularly. And uh, really, he just brought the experience factor to our corner. Um, it was nothing with really like, he's going to help come out, help with the wrestling, you know, for one week, you know, it was nothing like that. It was really just that he understand what it's like to be in this position and what it's like to fight for the belt, to answer any questions that we might have on how fight weeks are and, and the media obligations. And really, man, like he was just a calming presence, I think for everybody, myself included. Um, but an overall good dude, overall good energy for the corner. That's what he brought. And I think that's where you started to see, like, you know, it was, it was paid forward too. And Francis hopped on the plane and flew out to Jacksonville, did the same for him. I love that relationship. They're both, uh, they're both great human beings. And, um, you know, how could you not ha- love having a, a champion in your corner, you know? Yeah. And what a performance this weekend as well. I mean, you know, I, 
I, I wasn't surprised, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm a big Masvidal fan, and I've known George a long time also. And I think that that's really a testament of, of Kamaro's growth and what you're seeing out of him and the way his development has come along in this sport. Um, seeing him win by knockout was, was no surprise by me. I've been, I hold pads for Kamaro when he's in town. I, I get to work with him I'm, uh, and, and I get to see him on a daily. This kid is the real deal, man. Some of the things he's been working on with Coach Whitman has only really just made him better and, uh, and already that, that beautiful base that Henry Hoos already started him off with. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of my favorite fighters of all time, GSP, you know, people, when they talk about GSP, they always talk about the fantasy matchup, GSP and Khabib. And I've always found it strange that no one's really talked about the fantasy matchup of maybe GSP and Kamari, because that for me is, would be massive as well. Obviously I know GSP says he's retired and, and all this sort of stuff, but certainly on paper as a fantasy matchup, be something, I mean, I would love to have seen potentially. Yeah. Yeah, especially with both being in their prime right now. You know, the argument now is like, you know, GSP comes out of retirement to take this fight. He's not the GSP that we once once knew and loved. You know, yeah. he's been out of the game for about three or four years since his last fight. And then prior to that, he was out of the game for, for a while. So, um, but no, you're absolutely right. I think GSP can, can come out come out of bed and, and compete against anybody that he wants to at the highest level. So, um, but yeah, Kamaro and GSP would be one of those amazing matchups that I think the one of those fantasy super fights, if you will. Yeah, 100%. There's an interesting topic on Joe Rogan's podcast this week. He was talking with Wonderboy and really good podcast. If anyone's looking for an MMA podcast that isn't mine, listen to that one. <laughs> it was really good. Wonderboy was talking about longevity at the top and they were talking a bit about Tyron Woodley and how after he lost the title, he's kind of just went on this downward spiral. And they were talking about, you know, it's where a lot of guys maybe struggle once they lose the title, whether it be their confidence goes, whether it be maybe something else. And they were just talking about how can a fighter stay at the top? What can a fighter do to stay at the top? And for, and for your, and your opinion as a coach, is there any way you can help a fighter stay at the top? Yeah, I think, I think you can. Um, I think you have to stay on them to the level of, of understanding what got you there. But, you know, that was the first thing I said to all of us, all the guys, Kamaru, myself, Francis, Markel, Coach Dewey, you know, we won the fight, uh, the title. My my first words were like, hey, now the real work begins. You know, we, we can't let off the gas pedal. And you have to evolve. You have to stay on the cutting edge. You have to make sure that you're doing all those things um, that's important in, in honing your craft now because the target's on your back. So you look at guys like LeBron James and Tom Brady and why are they always been at the top of their game and the top of their field is because they still never – they never had that I made it mentality – it's there are people trying to catch me and I want to get better in, in, in areas. And I think that might happen a lot when guys win the title, they think that that's it. They made it. I won the title, but now you see guys, what, what their real goal is, is, is to be at the mountaintop and not let anybody come up there with them, you know? So um, I don't, I don't want to speak for Tyron. I don't know. I don't know him like that. Um, but I definitely, you know, feel for the guy, man. Cause in my opinion, when he was winning and he was on a roll, he looked unbeatable. And sometimes I think that just creeps into your head that, you know, it's like, it's like that, that, that in baseball, you just can't get a freaking hit. You just can't get a freaking hit for the life of you. So, you know, I hope that uh, he finds his, his footing and, and, and turns something around. And, you know, I like to see him try, keep, try to keep fighting. I know he's not with the UFC anymore, but you know, he's got a, he's got a God given talent and he's one of the best to ever do it in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I've always liked Tyrone Woodley. It seems to be a lot of people seem to really get on the sort of social media, didn't like him. They called him boring and all that side of thing. I'm not really too into that. I like to see how different people can win fights different ways. You know, I, yeah. I, I admire that. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's more than one way to skin a cat, so to speak. And there's very various different ways to win a fight. Well, one of my favorite guys that we have at our gym now is Jake Shields. And he was one of my favorite guys to watch. And he was labeled as boring. But when you watch Jake Shields and what he's able to do and how he can hold another grown man down and keep them down, in my opinion, I think it's the hardest thing to do in the sport. You know, somebody that doesn't want to be there is fighting tooth and nail to get out of there and you're able to do it for 15 or 25 minutes. And that takes a lot. Now, the fans don't pay our bills. You know, they kind of do. I guess they do in a way. But at the end of the day, we have a job to get two paychecks. That's the way the sport has been set out. Now, if you really want to see guys go out and throw leather and, and fight a certain way, pay them more money and pay them guaranteed money. And I guarantee you're going to see crazier fights than what you do. But when you're predicated on, well, I have to win to get two paychecks, I have to win any way possible. If that means it needs to be boring, you're going to be boring. If that means I have to do this, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. So I think the system itself is kind of flawed in a lot of ways. And that's what you see sometimes when you see a, a boring fighter, a boring game plan. It's guys are just trying to win any way they can. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. I think the system's set up for that sometimes. You know, like you said, pay people more and you'll see more at the end of the day. You know, those guarantees yep. probably... I wouldn't say probably those guarantees definitely are not where they should be for fighters, for people putting their lives in their hands and going in to go to war with another person effectively for entertainment purposes. There should be more money in the sport. And as much as I'm not a fan of Jake Paul, I thought some of the comments that he made to Dana White were actually quite relevant and quite spot on to be perfectly honest. I agree. Um, Really good conversation. A couple more questions for you, and then we'll wrap this up because I know you're in Vegas. I know it's fight week. I don't want to literally keep you all night because I could, because this would be brilliant. Um, so come some just some random questions and some fun questions here thrown in. Favorite genre of music or artist? What is put on in the gym every day? What are you getting the boys pumped up with? Ah, uh, it's a good man. They get mad at me, but I'll <laughs> I'll uh, I'll bump. Uh, so some days it's like just all this '80s music, <laughs> like random '80s. Um, if when Joe Benavidez is in, he takes over, and it's Joe Benavidez, man. It's it's a wild array of music, and you'll you'll be hearing stuff from like the '50s to like you know Kanye to you know uh, Louis Vega or whatever. I don't know, man. All kinds of weird shit. And then, um, but you know, I think the the general consensus consensus in the gym is. You know, it's usually like some rap. Um, I'm a big Run the Jewels guy. I like Run the Jewels a lot. So we play that quite a bit. Uh, you know, classic rock. I can plug on any ACDC or classic rock and yeah. everybody's going to be okay with that. But, um, you know, Coach Giff, Coach Giff and I, we actually like a little bit of like uh, Old Town, like Motown, some soul music, some James yeah. Brown. You know, that's in the <laughs> afternoons. It's kind of mellow. And, you know, if you, I, I yell at people, if you don't like James Brown, you can get the fuck out. So <laughs> that's what I'll yell at people are in practice <laughs> the face that runs the place is spoken just enjoy the music or get out get out man you know i can get the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> um another one for you what do you do to relax what's your what's your what's your favorite sort of hobbies to chill out oh that's a great question darren i <laughs> i should probably think of this more often uh you know i i actually just enjoy my time with my kids and my wife yeah. um you know uh my son's four now 
So my 13 year old daughter, I was bringing into the gym as a, in the, in the carrier, you know, so I would time my training sessions to her meals and then her, her <laughs> naps. So I would feed her and then I knew she was about to nap. I'd go to the gym and she'd nap for a couple hours and I'd train. Then I'd feed her again and then we would play and then she would go back down for another nap and I'd have some more time to train. So, you know, my, my oldest daughter has been really uh, literally bred and, and, and up, you know, brought up and through my gym. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's nice now when it's come with my son, I bring my son into the gym and let him play and hit the bags and, you know, he'll mess around with all the guys. And that's how I remember growing up as a kid with my dad on the football field. So, you know, my relaxation time is really just as much time as I can uh, put back into the family. I always, I always look at this job in a way of like, kind of like a bank account where if you're, if you're pulling money out, you have to deposit the same amount back in and, you know, your family is essentially that bank account. Yeah. Obviously wife, couple of kids, three kids. It's a lot of work for you, but you look like you're having a lot of fun in both aspects of your life, the private family life, and also the, the public training life. You look like you're having a lot of fun. Yeah, certainly. am, yeah, man, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun and, you know, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been an interesting ride. That's for sure. I never thought really this was what it's going to pan out to be, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that it is. And, you know, I know my family enjoys it and uh, you know, it's, you know, we got more to come. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Couple, one big question to finish, but before I get there, I just want to touch on a couple of fighters that are in your gym. Casey, sure. Casey O'Neill, um, amazing fight last time, fight coming up. What's she like to work with? She's a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> She's a psycho. I tell, I tell Ty all the time because Ty's like my little brother and they, they date. I said, bro, I love, the, I'm in love with your girl. Like she's the, she's the, and I, I don't mean that by sexually at all. I mean that by like her mindset and what she brings to the table in the gym. She don't give a shit who's in front of her. She'll spar Francis Ngannou the same way she spars in a fight or, or she'll spar a girl. And she's amazing, man. And, and uh, I, I love her to death. She, she gets me fired up when I watch her train, when she spars her attitude, the way she approaches the game. Uh, she's been one of my favorite additions to extreme couture for sure. In, in a while, like female wise, for sure. Definitely. She's been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Can't wait to see what happens, you know, for her, you mentioned Ty there, Ty, whose podcast is out again, second cheap plug, go and check out that podcast. He said, he's excited to have you back in his corner. His last fight. I th- it's quite humorous to me looking back, not the fact that he lost, but the fact he had to fly up by himself with no coach. And then eventually, I think it was coach Nate flew out, if I remember correctly. And then he had to get surgery and all that stuff that's going on. But he's on the comeback. And I believe he has a fight this summer. He told me that, was it last night? Two nights ago when we were chatting, he's a fight this summer. What's Ty like to work with and what's in his future? He, he's been a, a born, like, bred kid through Extreme Couture. You know, he came out here because of Brad. He's a basically Brad Jr. He looks just like the guy, you know, Um, but he's really cut his teeth in pro practice. Him and Uriah Hall, Brad Tavares, he's had some of the best training partners in the world um, that he's been brought up with. So, you know, Ty is a guy that's been battle tested very early, very early in this sport, especially in our gym. So um, I love the kid to death. His attitude is great. He works so hard. Um, him and I have a great, great relationship. And, you know, it's, it's hard because I think I was still uh, testing positive for COVID when he had his fight. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to go out there because if I were to gone and I was still testing positive, then I would have been stuck there for 10 days. It was just a mess, man. It was yeah. a mess. So um, but uh, but I'm excited for him. I'm excited that he's back and feeling better from his injury. Uh, he's one of those kids, really the sky's the limit, man. And, and if he gets his head where it needs to be as far as how hard he trains and what the effort that he puts out. Um, I mean, this, there's no reason why this kid's not a champ when, uh, when it's all said and done. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, from my understanding, he went sort of straight into the professional game as well from coming out here as a playing football and then just straight into straight oh, into yeah. fighting so early. It's that's kind right of incredible. In the fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right in the fire. He's an unbelievable athlete. You know, when he first came out here, we we were just always playing football together and going out to the park and a bunch of the boys and run football and stuff and do everything. So he's been always an, an incredible athlete that kind of jumps off the page, if you will. So seeing his maturation in the sport. Um, it's been quite fun to watch because, you know, he's always been athletically skilled, but then to see his MMA and his fight IQ develop through over time, uh, especially when you have guys like Brad and, and Raya Hall pushing him, you know, he became those, those two's main uh, uh, sparring partners in a lot of their camps. So, you know, Ty's been a, a very good teammate to these guys, and now you're starting to see his own career now begin because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And can't wait to see what happens. I have two more guys I want to ask you about, and then I've got my one final question for you. Dan Ige, you know. Oh, man, that's my guy. Talk to me about Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, you know, he's – him and I are connected, um, and it's hard to explain where, you know, it's like it's like you're married to somebody in a lot of ways, right? Like he can walk in the in the gym, and I know I know right away just by knowing Dan how he's feeling, what's going on in his life. Um, and vice versa. He knows me and he knows my energies. He knows when I need a hug. He knows that, you know, when I need a, we, we are, we are literally connect, connected at the hip. Our careers are parallels. You know, we started off on the regional scene together, working hard together, coming up together. Um, the blood, sweat, and tears going on the road with no pay. You know, we didn't, we, you know, just, just when I, when I hear Dan Ige's name, it brings a smile to my face. Um, he really is to me the the best um, the best guy when it comes to, to to the visualization. The guy who always believed and this is where he belongs and this is where he's going to be and that he will be a champion. There's really no other fighter that I trust more in the world going into round three that's going to pull out a victory than Dan Ige. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm excited to see what happens. You know, with with Dan, so good. His last performance was excellent. Can't wait to see what happens next. Um, one more question about one more person, and then I actually have two questions, if that's okay, time-wise. The last one is Misha, Misha Tate, back in the gym, back training. What's happening with Misha Tate? So she's been uh, she's been in training for quite a while now. You know, we just been kept it under wraps. Oh. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know, like, we didn't know if this was what she wanted to do as far as if she wanted to fight. So the, the plan was to kind of ease her back into the gym, back into the program. Um, me being a, a Neanderthal, I, I, I don't really understand a lot of what the women's anatomy goes through after having two babies and hearing some of the things that she's gone through injury wise and uh, her recovery, it's still an ongoing process. So, um, being empathetic to that situation and kind of knowing now what, what, what these females have to go through and now to come back and fight is something different. So, uh, for us, we just really wanted to take our time with her and get her back in the gym and get her get her bearing straight and everything else. But, you know, she's back in hitting pads with Coach Giff. She's back in the room at our pro, pro practices, doing all the things that she did when she was a world champion. So um, she's like my sister, man. I, I love her to death, and it's great having her back in the gym. The gym didn't feel the same without her, and, and having her back definitely now feels like home. I'm waiting to see what happens with Misha as well. I mean, I feel like I'm saying that with every fighter out of your gym right now. I can't wait to see what <laughs> happens, but it's legitimately true. There's just so yeah. much stuff going on coming out of extreme couture. Um, one of the, the second last question is, 
and this has to be your selection has to come from retired fighters. If okay. is there name three retired fighters that if we had a time machine, you could go back and coach what three Rand- would you pick? Randy Couture. <laughs> That's it, man. That yeah. he's my he's my guy. And um, you know, it it was there was a moment when we were walking out of uh we, were, we fought in Israel, Ryan fought in Israel. Ryan, Randy was in our corner, of course. Um, Ryan won, and we're coming out of the cage. It was me and Randy, and he just put his arm around me. We're walking back to the back to go to medicals, and he said, damn, kid, I wish you and I had a run at this together. He goes, I, I wish it was me and you running this. Uh, and that, that to me was, man, it was, it was one of the best compliments I received. I wanted to cry right then and there because he's <laughs> been a guy that I've, I've looked up to my entire life, you know. He's been a guy that when, when I first started watching the sport, it was synonymous to Randy Couture. And then coming to Extreme Couture and watching him, you know, win a belt at the heavyweight division that he wasn't expected to win and watching him, you know, beat Gabe Gonzaga and compete against uh, Brock, Brock, Brock Lesnar, you know, and fighting uh, Brandon Vera and all these guys and being a part of those training camps. You know, it's really come full circle. And that's what to me was so um, beautiful about the Francis Ngannou fight for me was the first time I stepped in a shrink tour, Randy won that belt. And I felt like we brought that belt home where it properly belonged. Full circle. And I think that encompasses your journey so far. Full circle, but it's not over yet. Yes, sir. And you're continuing to push on and continuing, obviously, to encourage, to develop, to motivate the next group of, of fighters and the current group of fighters that are obviously obviously there. One, This last question. One thing I'm passionate about, is the growth of the sport. And this is why when I do the podcast, I speak to guys operating at the elite and the highest level of sport like yourself. And then I speak to guys on the amateurs and guys coming up through and all that stuff. I love hearing about different people's journeys, their mindset, their goals, their aspirations, all that stuff. But MMA as a sport is continuing to grow and to grow rapidly. What does MMA as a sport overall, everything, what does it need to do or what do we need to do as fans, as, as, as coaches, as fighters to continue to help that growth? Man, it's, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I think just like anything, you kind of figure it out on the fly, but um, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, the, the, the sport is beautiful because it's tough. It's mean. And, that's inside the cage, but it's equally as tough and mean outside of the cage as well. You know, the, the MMA media, the, the fan base can be harsh at times. Uh, a lot of people aren't predicated to really understand what the, what the eight week training camp looks like, what it really takes to p- put into a camp. And then all we get to see is the 15 or 25 minutes in the, in the cage, but not what, what it took to get there and not what happens after, you know? So, um, I think, I think just for the sport and the overall growth of, of it is, you know, show a little bit more empathy and kind of understanding what these men and women are doing on a day-to-day basis to sacrifice, to entertain. And, you know, people are, are, are quick to be critical rather than they, than they are to be complimentary. Uh, this sport is one of the hardest sports I've ever seen in my life from physical standpoint and the mental standpoint. And, and um, once you're involved in this sport as whether it's a media level or, or at, as actual athlete or coach, the respect that you have for these men and women, I think um, really jump off the page and, and you know what they go through. So I think the overall growth and development to me, to answer your question, I think you need to, you need to show a little bit more empathy and understanding to what, uh, to what it takes to actually be in the sport. 
Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And we touched a little bit on Tyron Woodley earlier. I remember Tyron's last couple of fights, social media, he's a bum, he's done, he's washed up, he's finished, all this sort of stuff. But from even talking to Kobe on the podcast, um, someone you know well, Kobe's journey was tough, it's hard, and he's just trying to make it. And away from the glitz, the glamour, the lights, the titles, behind the scenes, there is an incredible work rate consistency drive determination heartache even when a when a yep. when a judge who again i don't i don't want to sound like i'm battering judges but i do it quite a lot you know when a judge maybe doesn't understand and gets something completely wrong and everyone's got their hands on their head and it's costing people jobs and money and opportunities and all that kind of stuff i think the respect for the people stepping in there to go to war the respect for the people behind the scenes motivating them helping them through a weight cut just being maybe being on a plane from them, being away from home, being away from family, all those little things behind the scenes that we don't see. You worded it perfectly. We see them when the lights are on and they're in a cage for 20 minutes. We don't see behind the curtain. And I think that's really it. You know, we just don't get it sometimes. Yeah, and it's you know, it's sad, it's sad sometimes the that I think it's 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 a reflection a lot of times of 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 the the people's insecurities, you know, that they feel the need to to take the time to go on a, on a profile that has no profile picture, no yeah. followers. I created something just to go, just to go spread more hate, you know, yeah. to say something mean and, or hurtful to somebody that they've never met or they'll never be able to hold a candle to when it comes to athleticism mm-hmm. or the courage of what it takes to get in there and actually do it. So it, it's quite, it's quite ironic to me, but in, in a lot of ways it's poetic. It's beautiful too, because you have to be able to have thick skin. You have to be able to you know, roll with the punches and, and to adapt to some of that stuff as well. But, um, you know, it, 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 the sport is what it is. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I think, kind of why we love it, you know? Absolutely. To me, it's the best sport in the world because anything can happen. You know, we've seen, we've seen um, Ali or Quinta take a, take a fight on a day's notice against Khabib and go the distance. Yeah. And then we've yeah. seen Khabib get in there with Justin Gaethje, who's – an NCAA wrestling background and get beaten two rounds. It's just incredible, you know, I, I, as, as a sport. I, I think it is just the craziness of it makes it, to me, the best the best sport in the world. Anything can happen any day. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, guys, this has been Eric Nixick, head coach of Extreme Couture. This has been MMA Mayhem, the last episode. Eric, thank you so much for giving me your time this afternoon. I went on probably a lot longer than what I probably should have and kept you on a very busy weekend. And I do humbly apologize, but I thank you so much for taking the time out today. No problem at all, Darren. Thanks for having me on, my man. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the podcast. That was Eric Nixick, head coach GM of Extreme Couture. Fascinating conversation. One of my personal favorites. So Eric, thank you so much for again coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show hope you guys enjoyed mma mayhem there was plenty of episodes if you've missed any go back and listen to them there's going to be some more cool episodes upcoming in the next month or two ray cooper the third pfl welterweight champion that episode will be out shortly keep an eye for that one he wants the title he wants the ufc welterweight title he believes he has the answers that will stop kamaro usman that's a big big statement check out that podcast when it's available he is the cousin of Kai Kamaka a fighter who is coached by Coach Eric who we've just heard so there's a really interesting interesting dynamic going on there but guys thank you so much for listening to the show hope you enjoyed MMA Mayhem and until next time have a great weekend